Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're speaking with Dory Colley, a young mother in North Carolina who started practicing Buddhism in earnest two years ago, though she grew up around the practice. Her son Donovan was diagnosed with autism at three years old. He's now 14, and much of her life has been a challenge to create a safe and supportive environment for him. Dory started chanting Nam Myoho Renge-kyo consistently two years ago, thanks to the encouragement of her mother, when she was faced with the daunting challenge of purchasing a home for herself and her son. You'll hear her share that story herself. But here's what moved me the most about speaking with Dory. On the surface, hers is a story about finding a home. But what's most incredible about her experience practicing Buddhism is how courageously she was able to open her heart, despite many traumatic experiences, to put down roots in a community that she never wanted to stay in in the first place because of how volatile and unsafe it felt. I'll tell you the ending up front on this one, and we'll unpack it all together with Dory. After being denied twice for a house by Habitat for Humanity, Dory started chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo sincerely to overcome disbelief in her own life and her dreams. In the most unexpected way, she finally did buy a house, and over time, it has become a home not only for herself, but for her entire family who went from years of discord to living on the same block and supporting each other, and now she's renovating it to be a home for her entire community. Her story is not only moving, but a powerful lesson in a key Buddhist concept, which is that where you are right now is exactly the place you need to be to fulfill your purpose, as long as you're willing to dig deep into your heart and let the courage out. Let's meet Dory. Can I just ask like a little bit of context, like kind of like how did you grow up or can you just sort of paint the picture of maybe several years ago before the stuff started changing okay what it was like um well my mom and my dad never married and they never like my dad was in my life probably up until four years old and then you know his own personal struggles and his own decisions you know we went through a period of estrangement for about 25 years so in maryland it was my mother she had remarried um she was like single parent basically and I have one older sister, we're four years apart. Um, she was a runaway. So the day we moved from the West Coast, she ran away that day. So I had to move by myself. And so I've, I've basically kind of grown up as a loner, you know, just a mm-hmm. lot of time by myself, me and my mom always together. She's been there with me for most of my struggles and stuff like that. And just learning adulthood in a different kind of way. So. It was just her and I, and then she got a divorce and, you know, she was dating again and working in all these different um, community-based organizations. So she was working for AmeriCorps and she was bringing me out to sites to do volunteering work with her in West Baltimore. I don't know if you know much about like Maryland and West Baltimore, but if you know, like the show, The Wire, you know, this area that they filmed in and stuff like that, that was like kind of featured in it and the, the show, The Corner and stuff. So you know, coming from the Pacific Northwest, that was really like culture shock. You know, I grew up in predominantly white areas in Oregon. And so here I was in the heart of Baltimore City. It was just like 
of course I have experience as a woman of color, but it still was just like the attitudes and the, I had to grow up still again quickly. So just hanging out in the inner city and stuff like that, learning that network and my friends and coming into my adulthood in a completely different environment, a lot of times by myself was just like, I wasn't using my practice. So I was dabbling in all kinds of things, you know, just figuring it out. And that also, you know, led to other things. And then there were so many traumatic events that happened right at the top when we moved from Maryland to North Carolina. And then that's when I really was like, you know, just not understanding death, life and death and stuff like that. We had a family member murdered literally like a year after we moved to North Carolina. And it was just like, it was my first time experiencing that. And so the doubts that come in part with, you know, losing someone early or considerably, you know, early or in advance. And and I didn't have a clear understanding of what it meant for, you know, a person to really maybe have lived out their mission and mm -hmm. for, for the value that it did put in my life now. Cause then I have a deep appreciation for life. You know, I really want to treasure all life. And because it's gun violence, and then I move in this neighborhood, and this neighborhood still gets active. And some days, you know, they shot up my mom's house. And it's just like, yeah, no one was hurt, thankfully. We we're very mm -hmm. much protected. But just to show you the, the realness of, you know, being in an area that needs people like my family to be present to really transform the land. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm sure it was just barely scratching the surface. Yeah, it's like, what detail did I miss? I don't no, know. I think I did enough. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, no, thank you for sharing all of that. I So so what I'm hearing from you is basically that um, you were just navigating a lot of things. And then on top of that, you're navigating things with a child yeah. who needs this much support. And how did you kind of come to the point? So you, you mentioned that you had sort of like a lot of anger when you started looking mm -hmm. for a house and also a lot of doubt about even staying in North Carolina. And I know when we spoke, um, you shared that you like were born into a Buddhist family, essentially, but um, you started chanting yourself kind of later. So yes. when and why did you start actually practicing Buddhism? I know. Whew, this is always like the fully loaded question because most times people are like, well, why do you chant? And it's like, why would you need to? Like, they're always like, what is this? <laughs> um, my practice was very hot and cold for most of my youth. So I'll say I really kind of stepped back into like taking full ownership that, you know, this is my personal religion and this is my personal practice about two years ago when I was coming to purchase my home. And it was, you know, one of the impossibles into possible. So I was like, uh, yeah, why not? You know, my mom was like, you really need to chant about this. Like, if you just, you doubt it, you don't believe you're going to get a house. You don't want to buy a house. You know, it was kind of that kind of edging me on. And I was like, you know, chuck it. I'm going to do it. And so we locked in for like about a year, just winning in the morning. And so many other things transformed in the meantime. But that definitely was something that, um, you know, kind of re-solidified my personal practice was really breaking that threshold of that impossible into possible. Mm. So I was going to ask about this later, but now I, I want to ask now because, um, yeah, buying a house is no joke. <laughs> 
And as a young person, as a young woman, I mean, yeah. So can you just tell me a little bit more context? Um, what was going on in your life? Why was this sort of, this was the decision at hand and what was kind oh of going goodness. through? Oh my goodness, like, whew, I was suffering so much prior to buying the house. And I actually suffered a lot after buying the house just because, again, this this root issue of, you know, just lacking appreciation for what I have. I was just there. I was just never in the present. I'm always constantly, oh, well, you then you still have, you know, 30 other things to do, all these other things that you have not yet to achieve. And um, my son and I were in a small one bedroom apartment and it was just like so many issues going on. You know, I know we haven't gotten into like his specific issues, but at the time, you know, he was really struggling with um, behavioral issues. And so being crammed in a one bedroom put us at constant uh, odds and just too much contact was going on. And, you know, the, the physicality of dealing with someone with special needs can be so, you know, heartbreaking sometimes. And so I was just like, you know, fed up. I just couldn't continue to allow to be in that environment. Then I had a neighbor underneath me, you know, we're ticking her off. And she's, you know, and I was just like, oh, I need peace. I need harmony. I need space. And so I had like uh, applied for the Habitat for Humanity program because my mother purchased her home through Habitat. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be a shoe in, you know, but issues, just um, lack of support and my own like real determination to finish the program with them and loss of jobs. There were so many ups and downs while trying to go through that program that it just wasn't for me. And so my mom was like, no, that's really your opportunity. You need to go revisit it. And so I had cycled out of it. And then when I went back to, you know, revisit it, they had denied me. So I had two denials against me from Habitat, who was supposed to be, you know, this program for individuals like myself, you know, single parents a lot of times, or people with just not the financial means to go through lending process and everything like that. And so, Two denials from them, I was really just shot out the sky. I was like, it's absolutely impossible now. Now I was even more convinced I'm absolutely not going to buy a house. And so instead of just being, I don't know, I don't know who I needed to be angry at in that situation, but I was really angry at Habitat. And so I had developed this like um, anger towards corporations who, you know, let families like myself fall in between the cracks. But that passion to be so like, upset to overturn it. I wanted to still win, you know, and I was just like, how can I do it? And my mom was like, you know, the only way you can do it is to win in the morning. And I was like, well, okay. And so again, you know, she came to support me during that time and good friends in faith, they would be like, you know, you're going to break the, you know, just, just constant encouragement was around me. But inside I was just rooted in like disbelief that it was just it was again impossible but I just saw things kind of shift and so towards the end of that year on the same street that I was in this one bedroom and that's just how I knew okay this absolutely is that mystic effect of you know really being able to like pull forth great fortune right where you are when you've accepted like you know this is a place where you can transform your life and so I was like okay, I'm going to invest right here. And I'm, I'm now on the other side of where I was in my one bedroom. I'm now on the other side of the street in at the time, you know, I was just really chanting for, you know, a two bedroom, one bath. We both needed our own room. You know, we had to 
share space in the bathroom at school and I needed a washer and dryer hookup. And so I ended up getting this house and was able to negotiate, you know, directly with the owner. And so we've developed this incredible friendship, you know, over the last couple of years, just where, you know, he took me to his personal real estate attorney. We've just really become really good, like, like a family. And um, it's interesting because, you know, his namesake is actually my paternal grandmother's name. And so I've been telling him, you know, you really are my family. I just bought my house back from my family. And I'm so happy to be still within the community of my family. So my grandmother is on this street and then I have an aunt on this street and then I've recently moved my father next door. So it's wow. it's a big family affair now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's unreal. So, so wait, after being rejected from Habitat, you just ended up meeting someone that you directly bought a house from? Okay. So yeah, it gets deeper, right? So community is just like the buzzword for my family. We've always been like rooted in community efforts, grassroots efforts, of course. So Kagakai being, um, you know, part of that, that, that drive to want to connect with community. And so my grandmother and I, we have worked with the elementary school across the street and we've kind of like captured this plot that was unused and it was just like a dumping ground for people in the neighborhood. They were just, you know, old furniture, mattresses, tires, all kinds of things were ending up in this area. And so cleaned out all the trash Then we ended up getting the city to fence it in. But it's been our community garden now in an effort that we've been working on to battle food insecurity for the last three years. And so the house is on the route on the block to get to the community garden. So you have to pass it. And one day my grandmother was just walking past and she, you know, she got the initial pitch off for me. She talked to the owner and said, oh, yeah, I think this would be great for my granddaughter. Please talk to her. And because I knew what this house used to be before I purchased it, I kind of wrote it off like, oh, no, no that house is going to be trash. I don't need it, you know. And when they started coming in and just cleaning it out, I was able to do a walkthrough. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely my house. I, I want this house. And so things just began to kind of steamroll after that and ended up closing like right before um, Christmas. So it was just like a gift to myself and my son. I was just like, wow, this victory is just too big to believe. Oh my goodness. I have so many questions. So let me just back up to get a little bit of context. And then I, I really do want to ask a little bit more about this community piece of things. But so as I understand it, you you grew up around chanting, you grew up mm -hmm. around this Buddhist community. And then it's around the time that you're figuring out how to get this house that you really started chanting. You yes. mentioned um, you had to win in the morning or that's what your mom said. But like for people who are who are new to Buddhism, what does that mean? Your mom, what started showing up at your apartment to make you chant? Yeah, <laughs> she had a key. She has a key to every home I have, you know, just as backup and support. Because, again, I have a child with special needs. So some days, you know, I'm just like, please meet me here, be here already, you know, and that will give me either even greater desire to really rise to the challenge. And so she would be in there already ringing the bell, you know, and she would give me about five, 10, 15 minutes to get myself together in the morning and, and, and you know, meet her there. Wow. And then you guys just chanted together. Yeah, man, we were locking in before she would go to work and stuff like that. But it really just helped again, like me begin to really value and appreciate my prayer, just the power of my prayer, you know, my single prayer alone and not really depending on, oh, having parents who practice, you know, my mom was just like, figure it out through faith. So it was like a lot of days I had to battle so much just to get in front of you know, my mirror to win and to reflect with that kind of brutal honesty at times, because 
you know, with the disbelief, it was like, oh yeah, you're still not going to be able to get your down payment. You know, your credit is trash, you know, but it just everything, like even when there were little hiccups towards closing, everything just ended up really manifesting for, um, you know, the great good for me to mm -hmm. be here. I understood then like, this absolutely must be attached to my mission because how could it open up like that? It seemed just too storybook out of a movie. It was unreal. You know, I don't, I try not to get into prices and stuff like that, but you know, the price, he was not trying to beat me out on the price. You know, he, he was mm. fair and below market. So I knew again, this had to be, you know, exactly what I needed at the time. And it, and it definitely has, proven to be more than that. You know, I've been able to host discussion meetings and right now, again, working on renovations that this can become more of a community wellness center. I'm learning about um, like uh, legal zoning requirements and stuff like that, but I, mm. I have a bigger goal and it's my new impossible. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love what you're saying because it's, it's so real. I'm just thinking like anyone who's listening you know, who hasn't chanted, for example, is like, okay, so you're telling me me chanting some words is going to help me get a house? Like yes. what? Like, <laughs> or how? get a job or figure that, you know, life right. stuff. <laughs> like you think, you think it will cure a headache? No way. Like, you know, but <laughs> there have been times because, you know, even just with caregiver exhaustion, you know, some days I'm really bottomed out on energy and I would just get in front of my Gohans and, you know, I, I need just a little more strength to make it through these next couple of hours, you know, chanting in that way to be able to pull forth more life force. And so I've been testing and experimenting. And because I'm used to keeping data for my son and his behaviors and his communication and all these other things that you learn from these other, you know, therapists and behavior analysts, I've been doing it for myself with my practice. And so... Huh. It's been a fun experience, experiment, experience, you know, like a fusion of both because, you know, in the journal, I'm, I'm writing down like, okay, on my days when I'm my lowest, you know, what was something that really shifted and transformed it? Well, I didn't go crack a Red Bull, you know, a lot of times it's like within these three Daimoko, these three chants of Namyo Harenge Kyo, I'm really going to just win right, right now. I must, you know, if. Sometimes it can feel life or death. You know, I've struggled with panic attacks and anxiety. And so really being able to use my prayers to first begin to like just mitigate some of what I'm struggling with has been mm -hmm. life changing. But but it's been the focused and determined prayer and uh, having the actual proof experience to say, you know, yeah, I can really stand on this. I'm not just encouraging people to chant because someone else told me to. It's really because I'd like you to have the experience that I'm having. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's in some way, you know, for yourself. Totally. That's a beautiful way to put it. Um, so maybe maybe I can ask just for a little bit of context, whatever you're comfortable sharing, of course, mm -hmm. kind of what the story was with your son and kind of like when you became a mom and what role chanting played, if any, it's okay if you started yeah. chanting later on, but you know, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, like I said, the practice was always hot and cold. So uh, <laughs> it's just been way more consistent these last couple of years again this is the experiment part because I'm like if continuity really matters then I must you know just keep at it and so that that never give up spirit right it's not just a cute hashtag it's really the spirit behind your prayer to never give up never abandon it and I became a young mother at 18 fresh out of high school and I was just, you know, a confusing time for myself. Other people have so many other milestones at 18. And mine was, you know, welcome to responsibility, more responsibility. 
because my parents, you know, they shaped me to be one of those independent too early kids, you know, driving at 11, <laughs> stuff like that. And so by the time I was a mom, it was new and I had so many fears, but I had my mom supporting me. And then uh, my son's father, you know, at the time when we first had him, we were still trying to balance out the sensitivities of him being in college and then me being the full-time care provider. And by the time we got to our autism diagnosis, he was about three going on four. So again, another period in my life where most people are 21 celebrating other milestones, I know. And I'm walking into a, a doctor's office hearing jargon and language that just didn't even make sense to me. And frustrated me because then I felt like I'm a new parent. What did I do wrong? You know, just all of the overwhelming experiences that I think a lot of parents go through. Um, they call it like the first hundred days of diagnosis, you know, this process that you kind of step through of acceptance, you know, and uh, what's next. And so my family was proactive and we started seeking out, you know, to have the best support. So we've gone through speech therapists, occupational therapists, um, ABA therapy, applied behavior analysis. We've explored many different things to kind of restore his neurological function. But um, that's just, you know, part of where we're at now. So he's going on 14 in May. And um, just so much has transpired with Donovan that has required me to win in front of Michael Hansen. And I, I feel like he is definitely, so much of my actual proof is in Donovan. So it's just like, when people always say to me, oh, you've got, you've got a lot of experience. And I'm always like, do I, you know, looking for it still, like, where is it showing up at? But, you know, now again, with new appreciation for my life and new appreciation for all of my struggles, absolutely. My son is so much actual proof and protection. So I'm thankful mm -hmm. for him choosing me as, you know, <laughs> part of the mission to get it done. And, and even, you know, his father. You know, they say like those who challenge you the most end up becoming like your, you know, your your best ally. And so, you know, in Buddhism, they thought you're powerful enemies, but he's not an enemy of mine. He, you know, we have this incredible co-parent relationship that we've developed, but it, it was something that took a decade. <laughs> We're mm -hmm. only three to four years in this in this great sweet spot. And um, he just started recently chanting. So he's we've known each other since I was like 15. And, you know, we were first high school sweethearts, that kind of thing. And so here we are this many years later. And, you know, for him to I've always been, you know, sharing my practice with him. Of course, we cohabitated together and we lived together. So he's always known and he's come to meetings and supported that way. But when we re um, we're going through puberty. So <laughs> everybody know. I don't know if you know about that. I mean, just, you know, as a young person who went through it, you know, did you send your parents through crap? Because mine is sending me through just drama and elopement is showing back up. So he's trying to escape my house and all that kind of stuff. And so I really just was feeling that suffering creeping back in and I was feeling bogged down with it. And I was like about to hit the panic button and all of my other, you know, disorders and behaviors, all my stuff started to flare up. And I was just like, I'm not going back to that place, you know, 2020 taught me how to really pace myself. And so this year when it showed up, I was like, okay, we was waiting on you, but we're ready. And so I, you know, 
I didn't even plead or anything. I, I just started having a dialogue with my son's father first in front of the Gohans and that I would have courage to say it in the most compassionate way that I needed him now to support with prayer. And on day 14 of the Buddhability Challenge, of course, I would remember this because that was like the procrastination day. <laughs> of course, I remember details like this because he's my son's father. And I thought, oh, yeah, you would start on this day, right? But he did. And he, um, you know, sent me a video of him chanting and stuff like that. And then he kept sending videos of him chanting. And I was like, I get it. You're chanting. But, you know, then he just started really telling me how it made him feel. And I was just like over the moon. You know, those are the kind of treasures that... You know, you're chanting for someone else's happiness a lot of times, uh, practice for others. But when they start really feeling what you want them to experience the whole time, it's just like, again, unmatched. And it's been it's been a joyful journey now together to see the, the things changing with Donovan. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that this is also moving. I'm just um, like it, it just strikes me how intertwined family is in all of your your experience I mean what you're describing of you know your son's father I imagine maybe your parents felt towards you just that feeling like my parents certainly felt that way towards me <laughs> um but just the simultaneous joy of like waking up your yes. own kind of boot ability and yes. then hel helping your family do it too yes. it's yeah I don't get to hear these kind of stories very often so <laughs> I'm just so I'm grateful in, I'm encouraged by the experience because you know for a long time Again, with codependency issues and some of the other, you know, sensitive issues within my family, you know, family discord is also a big thing that is a part of, you know, just having families, different opinions, just, you know, cohabitating and just living in close proximity, even the people who are not blood related, you know, that, that kind of family issues. And so, you know, a lot of times I felt like shame, like, God, my family is so... <laughs> Ooh, you're kidding me, right? I didn't sign up for this. You know, some days it would be, I would be battling that, like, it's no way I was born into this family. But now, you know, as we are really uniting towards faith for a harmonious family, like really determined to have those kind of breakthroughs and build trust within our community, you know, because they all see us all the time, you know, we're actively working on how can we, you know, just better reveal our bootability to others, to ourselves, to each other. How can we do that? And it's been a fun experience because, you know, for a long time I felt like, oh, well then they're putting all the responsibility on me. I have to be the brightest son. I have to <laughs> illuminate all this for my family and change generational, you know, karma, whatever. But now it's like everybody is on the front lines for it. They're ready. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by the experience that happened and, and how it's happening again in the families that are interconnected to mine now you know they're extended but they're certainly my family also mm, wow so I'm curious about like how how you changed in all of this because it sounds like you you know had him pretty young and mm -hmm. he, on you know it's for a number of years you were kind of on and off with your own practice of chanting mm -hmm. which I can relate to as well I think it's called a practice for a reason that's right <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, just like what kind of like how did your own heart sort of change over time or like what was your personal internal struggle? Because you mentioned a bit on the phone, too, about just being critical of yourself or, yes. and the, dealing with anxiety and panic attacks. So just, yeah, where were where was kind of Dory at in all of this? Oh, just lost, just fumbling around in the dark, you know, really, you know, seeking, seeking and having 
good support around me. Because again, you know, my good friends in faith, like they would never press me out. They would just be a sounding board and hold space for me. But there were many dark days where <laughs> I would have like one episode of a panic attack and I would be like shut in my house for weeks, you know? So there was a a long period of suffering before there was major transformation. But I determined like, I mean, I can become the healthiest. I can become the happiest. I can really win. But I knew that a big part of that would have to be accepting that it was my mission to win here. And I struggled with that for so long, you know. You can ask, like, you know, one of my good friends in faith was my neighbor. And I would, <laughs> we would be in the parking lot and I'd be like, girl, I'm about to, I'm out of here. I'm about to cut the, <laughs> mm-hmm, yes, I will, I, buy in North Carolina, like, that's literally how adamant I was against, like, even being in the South and just, again, just a, misconception of what it meant to create value with where I am and plant myself right here and accept accountability, responsibility, all those things that said, this is your life and you need to make a decision. I was just on the fence about so much and it it was reflective in my health, you know, like I never could just let things go. I had a lot of self-doubt, self-worth issues. Again, you know, I kind of talking about just my family discord and stuff like that. There was like, even though I work with my grandmother now, we've been working together for the last three years in the garden, man, flashback just five years, you know, we were in court together just to show you the dynamics of where discord had got us. And when I had to really go back in because I could not be blaming her for, you know, how she perceived me or whatever that miscommunication was at the time, whatever that challenge really was, because, you know, we've never got to the stem root of it. I don't, I don't think I need to try to deadheaded or whatever, pull it all the way out. If it's going to be there, you know, let's just keep working towards our shared goal. And um, we transformed that relationship. You know, it was something that I was always seeking encouragement about and around was, you know, this family discord. I'm like, I'm born into a family of people who actually hate me. How does that work? You know, Mm -hmm. how can I win with them? And I've been able to, again, just start with valuing and appreciating my life, recognizing my inner bootability, these strengths, these weaknesses, and not really being defeated by them, you know, when I'm presented with challenges, going back to just winning in front of my Gohansen and not strategizing with my inconsistent mind, because if you think my child has, you know, any type of delays that my mom's dad is a um, disabled veteran, you know, and a lot of our stuff is all mental health related, like the nuances of mental health in the African-American community, how things go undiagnosed and stuff like that, that this has all been a part of this, you know, human revolution or this process of revealing my bootability has been accepting that and really just treasuring that and cherishing that. Like, yeah, you struggled like hell. Yeah, you was born into this unfair world, but you still can win. Like um, the practice has really helped me value everything in my life now with with new eyes of appreciation opposed to feeling like, you know, the victim a lot of times. Mm. Wow. I'm just, just hearing you say this and then seeing like what you're doing now. It's like such a dramatic transformation i mean very few families decide that they're going to be changing their community together i don't think any i don't think i've ever met a family that digs their roots that deep i mean it's it's really incredible and that you guys are all on this block and and your dad like <laughs> just, just, I know. your dad lives here now that's like a Greg, pretty I'm wild like coming out the rabbit head <laughs> 
And you, you asked, or you're the one who brought your dad here yes. after that many years of not seeing him. Yes. And um, again, it just was like this desire to have a new experience. You know, this was something that I was half-hearted chanting about a lot of times. Oh, you know, I'm okay without a dad, that kind of wishy-washy way. Like, if he wanted to know me, he'd try to get with me. You know, it's not like my mother ever prevented it. Um, but it took, you know, us just on our different paths to bring us to where we are now. So again, appreciation towards that. And I never held anything against him, but now that he's directly as my neighbor, I see, oh, did I call this forth? It's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're having really actually a great time. And he's, um again, like I said, disabled veteran. So it's like, now I am his caregiver. I'm actually, you know, like on the paperwork as his caregiver. And he's, he's going through an immediate challenge right now with his health. So it's like, I'm happy that I'm able to really support him now. I don't have any negative feelings towards it like wow what great fortune that i was able to post pandemic move you across the u.s from colorado to north carolina i just had to be in the right time the right place to be able to make it happen and so we made it happen maybe briefly if you can share so you got the house but then like what what became your dream and what what work you're actually doing and what you want to do yeah, okay, so well, I'm currently just a virtual assistant post-pandemic. It's something that I had to adapt to, but before that I was a production coordinator for like live events and tours. And so, you know, when the pandemic rolled in, it was just like, wow, will the entertainment industry ever really bounce back? And so I was just like, I don't know, like, there's value creation here to be made, you know, after again, like shattering these these limitations that, you know, oh, it has to be done this way or just so much control and trying to like, predict the outcome or what will happen. You know, I had to just trust and, and deepen my own like belief in myself that there's value to create here. And so it's just a volunteer effort. We have amazing volunteers who show up every year. We get a new group for our community garden, but again, we're in what's labeled a food insecure neighborhood. So there are food banks and all types of um, distribution that happen around here, but uh, the victory garden, we name it many different things. It's the Kimberly Park Edible Classroom. That's like its real name because it's in part with Kimberly Park Elementary School. And so we deal with grades K through five. Um, we talk about the propagating process, um, the whole plant production, food production process. So we take them from seedlings and we give them grow trays at the top of the year. And they have a couple of garden beds that they come and help. And then the rest of the garden beds are open for community members. And we're really, again, just trying to revitalize engagement on that level. Mm -hmm. There was a World Tribune that talked about a third place, you know, where the first place is home and then the second place is your workplace. And then the third is church, community, garden or park or something like that. And so me and my grandmother saw that World Tribune and we were like, "Ah, this is us right here. And so last year, you know, again, post pandemic, this this. This is not anything new, Victory Gardens. You know, they actually started after World War II for food insecurity. Um, you know, a lot of times they were called like food preserves for defense or something like that, war gardens. Like there are all these other names for this initiative. But um, we were just like, this is the Victory Garden of love. You know, we want it to become a love legacy around here, just growing compassionate. Um, again, the neighborhood based on its history, this is what we've heard from all the you know, the residents who have been here longer than us. 
um, they called it Scary Cherry. We live on Cherry Street, so it was called Scary Cherry. And so we were like, we have got to transform that first. We're gonna start calling it Compassionate Cherry and we'll just grow our little hive out from there. And so it's just been circulating and growing. We're going into our fourth year and um, we usually start our planting season right before Good Friday. So we'll be having like a community event, socially distanced and masked up and safe. We have hand washing stations and stuff. and. It just, it's turned into something that is just so, so amazing. Um, I just, I'm just like, what's next? We're always trying to devise what's next. And so we wanted to, again, become like a community heirloom project. We will not be the last family that manage or support it. You know, my grandmother will be 78. So she's teaching mm -hmm. me everything she can now. And my, my mother and my aunt, you know, and again, we're just uniting other families to come do this work too. And so... Each year we get a new cycle of families who want to come get a garden bed and they start with their young, young kids and, you know, they teach them the watering cycle and the grow cycle and they keep a garden journal. It's just, there are so many opportunities for us to engage and talk about value creation. So we've been trying to shape our mind around what well, I have. I've been trying to shape my mind around how can I introduce even more of, you know, my organization, what we do for world peace, you know, this humanistic endeavor that we're on. And um, I got an idea of kind of where I want to go. And it's a new impossible. Like I said, it's, it's crazy thinking about um, requirements for building and extending and getting license. It's a lot and the budget is crazy. I've been doing just like a lot of renovations out of my own pocket. So right now I'm really Again, using my prayer to get the, the best construction crew to be able to help, you know, who can do this project and, and we'll be able to work out some type of agreement. I'm hoping to build that kind of credit with my neighborhood and local contractors. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want it to become more of a community wellness like center because uh, one of the requirements for just one of the type of license, you can have it as a recreational center. and. You know, I want to be able to donate this again, like community heirloom legacy project. That's something that will remain. We could do garden education classes here for the rainy days because we do a lot in the garden. But, you know, of course, weather prevailing, there's not always opportunity to teach. So we need another space. Mm -hmm. And then the elementary school started doing trauma informed yoga. And so I'm working on my front half of my living room to be like a yoga studio. And we've got some Whoa. stuff cooking up. You know, I'll be hoping to share it soon again. It's, yeah. it's a new goal. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, to go from like looking for a place for you and your son to a home for your entire community is just so inspiring. My goodness. I've been wanting to just test my practice. I want to max it out. You know, if they say our life is comparable to the universe, then it doesn't know a limit. And I'm just like, yeah, if I've grown and been able to transform my angry nature, I'm telling you, I was like an easily triggered person, <laughs> you know, running around looking for the fight. And so I wanted to transform that too. I wanted to become this more compassionate person, reflective of this neighborhood. I could not be an angry person in a very actively you know, volatile neighborhood, it was not going to work. So I had to go internally and begin to just transform again, my attitude about my, my own nature, my true nature, how could it create the most value? Cause you know, it's not going to be a zero balance. There will be never a time when I'm not an angry person, but it's how do I use that anger? How do I fight for justice? And so the garden is an extension of social justice, you know, really presenting myself as an intersectional human being is, is, is social justice. So Mm. it's again just with 
viewing my life from this enlightened perspective, from my higher life condition, I see the value of even when I was very much in hell. A lot of times I battle with that, like, oh, you just suffered. Oh, you were just full of suffering. But now it's like, no, man, that created exactly where I am now. It it opened up, you know, that that deeper compassion that was always there somewhere. But it was just like I had to keep fighting to reveal it, you know, like believing in myself. That's a daily battle. And now I'm just trying to really step fully confident into this world, you know, take up space. I'm I'm building this self-awareness through my practice, though, and, and the support of good friends. They've always just, you know, my trajectory would be a little off and I'd start getting back on my bullshit and they'd be like, no, come on, come with us, run with us this way. And I'd be like, OK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The, we talked a, a bit about that in the Buddhability event earlier today, just about the yeah, like having having friends, having community when you can't do it by yourself. It's just like mm-hmm. the that's the wind, you know, beneath your wings. Yes. <laughs> They're still your wings, but sometimes you need that wind. Absolutely. Like a strong upcurrent to just say, hey, you know, we don't have to retire, but we can rest on this. We can coast this a little bit and just ride it out, you know, and then take off again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so just one like last question to to close thank you so much for sharing all of this first of all it's just so amazing um and everything that you're saying just reminds me of this of the buddhist concept you know securing the peace of the land Mm -hmm. it's where nichiren says if you care anything about your own personal safety and security you have to take care of the peace of the land you know so um i mean i literally you're like proof of that in every way just sometimes it like the fight just for yourself isn't motivating enough, but to do it for the people around you is. Um, but all that said, I'm just wondering, you know, for somebody who's new to chanting or mm-hmm. just kind of been listening and is is trying to wrap their head around um, how chanting can help them transform their environment if they just have felt kind of beat down by their environment their whole life, because so many people feel that way for different reasons. Yes. Um, yeah, what would you say to someone who's like, that's so inspiring, but like, I feel so small and I'm just right here right now. And how yes. do I even imagine that for myself? Oh, I would say, you know, first, please accept that feeling holy, because it's not that a time that I don't feel that sometimes too, you know, of being human, let's, let's be human about it. But it's going to always, I guess, you know, really go back to that belief in self, you know, if you really have this deep belief that you know, you can impact great change and it may take time, you know, again, with this little grassroots effort we have going on this, you know, this is a three to five, 10 year plan. This is no overnight transformation, but starting with belief in yourself and that, you know, this is a worthy cause, you know, what I'm doing here, it doesn't matter if I get the notoriety for it. You know, I know people from this block radius are impacted. You know, I've witnessed it within three years, just the lack of engagement that we had with community to where we stand now and the relationship that we have with the elementary school. You know, all things are possible. But if we don't believe it, then, you know, we ain't going to achieve it. But if we really do believe it, it's it's nothing that um, is out of reach. Huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry, I know I said that was the last question, but I, I'm just wondering, like, was do you remember if there was a moment when you shifted from, I don't know about this place, I'm not staying here, you know, to, okay, let's do this project. Like, let's just, you know, like, was there a day or was it gradual? Yeah. Okay, so 
when they broke my window, I was still like, I don't know if I signed on the wrong dotted line. I was like, oh my God, like, is this what I'm going to be dealing with? I felt like that. And I almost went right back into my, you know, lesser self, my old ways of just like, oh yeah, this girl, no, pull out now, you know, find something else. It was really like that kind of, you know, spirit to abandon things when, when it gets difficult. But I just had to go back to the prayer and say, you know, and I thought about the people around me, how they never abandoned their prayer for me. And so it's like, if I abandon my prayer for this community, then, you know, which future stakeholder will step up if I do not blaze this new path? And I know I won't be the last, but I'd, I'd hope to be someone who can open up a way. And I, and I know there will be so many more challenges, you know, ahead, especially when it comes to renovations. Like I've already ended up paying for some of these challenges ahead, you know, but just that determination that this this is my place of mission. That was the shift for me. You know, how can I fully appreciate where I am in the present and not, um, you know, get too caught up in the unknown of the future, the, the uncertainty, you know, mm-hmm. pandemic showed me too. Things can change in a day. You know, we went from lockdown to <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just maintaining faith in that this this too is part of the mission, you know, having to readjust and learn learn to navigate this new world. How how can we still make it the most accessible and inclusive for people? And that's what, you know, if and when activities resume and when spaces can be open, you know, I hope that this will be right on time for the reopening of this neighborhood. You know, the kids are finally getting back into school. So I've been seeing them more and I hope to get the smaller groups to get in the garden again, but mm. it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Dory, for sharing all of this. Yeah, I, I'm just so moved by you, by your family. I've just, I've never, I've really never seen someone take that kind of responsibility for, for their community. And that's like what the world needs. I'm I'm excited to, you know, like you say, even highlight that someone has this deep desire to want to do that. You know, I've achieved all these little material things and I was still so unsatisfied with it. You know, I was still suffering. I had bought a house and I still hated it. You know, I got a new car, still was unhappy. But once I really accepted that this was the mission to fight through those feelings of unhappiness and uncertainty, I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to win. And now... Wow, I walk out and I see just the beauty of the day. You know, things are coming back into bloom and I don't really see all that was shadowing and that those doubts and all that uncertainty and that darkness that I was in before trying to navigate. Like, you know, you say you've just been navigating and I have, I've been figuring it out. And now that I feel like I'm closer somewhere on the right path, you know, thanks to a, a strong mentor, you know, setting and modeling this example that, yeah, just as you are, you will win. This is part of your unique story, your unique mission. And I'm just like, yeah, how can I become more confident in sharing it with people and and continuing this work? My key takeaway from my conversation with Dory is that the greatest way to test your own ability is to face whatever is in front of you head on with an open heart and courage. If you don't believe in yourself yet, don't worry. Chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo every day, and especially winning in the morning, is the best place to start. We actually did an episode all about winning in the morning a few months ago called Winning Morning, Winning Life, if you want to look it up. And on that note, to learn more about chanting, check out bootability.org. 
And if you want to find your own local Buddhist community, please email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.